Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, it is a privilege to be with you again this Sunday morning as we gather for worship in our own homes, in places where normally we would not be, but places still where we feel and know the presence of God and the love and fellowship of the family of God. As we prepare for worship itself, I want to mention just a few things. First of all, to remind you that you can send your prayer requests in to us by writing to this address, prayers at villagechurch.org. If you'd like to communicate with us about any other matters in the life of the church, things that you feel are important for us to know, write to me at my personal email address. That's jackb at villagechurch.org. If you'd like to send in your financial support, you may send your checks to Box 704, Rancho Santa Fe, California, 92067, or you may go onto the church website and you may pay your pledge or give your offering uh, online on the church website. All of our worship services, all of our Bible studies, all of our other news about events and activities online and virtually in the life of the church are there on our church website, and so we'd encourage you to visit there often. If you would like to be part of our email list where we send regular updates about what's going on in the life of the church, simply write to me or go online and there's a place that you can register. I need to report to you that, uh, according to all indications, the worship attendance of our church is as strong as it ever has been, and perhaps it's even growing a little bit. As people sit at home, as they begin to embrace this new way of life for a while, uh, folks are tuning in to watch and to participate and to be part of worship, including people from other parts of the country and other parts of the world who previously had not quite had these same kinds of opportunities. So we thank God for that. That growth. We encourage your continued participation in the life of the church and in your own discipleship to Jesus in this way. I do need to tell you that we have a new offering that started last week for you. Uh, Jan Farley and Neil Pressa, our two associate pastors, are going to be doing about 30-minute Bible studies based on the scripture passages that I will be preaching on on that coming Sunday. So you can go to the church website and you can see the link there uh, to watch their 30-minute Bible study. And that way you can prepare yourself a bit more to hear the message for Sunday morning, as well as continue to learn about God's word for you in the scriptures. I also want to let you know that our coronavirus response team of the session and the session itself, our governing board, uh, continue to meet regularly, to discuss often, and to uh, look at the situation in which we find ourselves as a church. And we have begun the process of making plans for how we will reopen when that opportunity presents itself to us. Of course, we don't know when that's going to be. It looks like it's at least a few weeks away from now, possibly further, but we are thinking about all of those things. So if you have ideas or thoughts or suggestions, write those to me. Of course, the life of the church continues, not just here in the life of the village church, not just in the United States, but around the world. Our church has been privileged to participate in some of what God is doing all around the world, especially through the work of folks like the Outreach Foundation. And so we now have a special message for you from Stu Ross, one of the mission workers with the Outreach Foundation, as he speaks about his ministry in Kenya. Good morning. My name is Stu Ross, and my wife Annie and I work for the Outreach Foundation uh, in East Africa, and we live in Nairobi, Kenya. On March the 14th, I came back from Kenya in the hope of uh, visiting donors and churches in the U.S. Uh, that did not happen. Uh, I have been self-quarantined uh, for the last four weeks in my, my house and uh, basically working on my computer. Um, the situation in Kenya is very similar to here. They are shuttered. Um, there are 180 cases of coronavirus in Kenya, but of course they don't have the testing or the medical infrastructure that we have. Uh, I left Annie back in Kenya and she is homeschooling the kids. Um, Nairobi has been locked down and you can't go in or out. Uh, they have uh, a nightly curfew. Uh, food, 
security and water security is a problem. Um, and I'm not sure when I'm going to be able to go back to Kenya. Uh, that'll be, depend on airlines and, of course, the government. So they have a lot of problems in Kenya. The, the uh, medical infrastructure just is not there. Um, we, uh, we have two, two girls uh, rescue centers and a boy's home that really are in dire need of food. Uh, we're praying for you. Please pray for us in Kenya. Thank you. And now let us be called to worship in these ancient words of the 139th Psalm. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Friends, let us worship the living God. Bless the Lord, bless the Lord, oh my soul, for 
Oftentimes we become accustomed to walking down well-worn paths, even when we stumble, we fall and get bruised. Somehow we continue down those paths. But God invites us to a new path through his son, Jesus Christ. I invite you to join me as we confess our sins before God and be assured of his forgiveness. Let us pray. Mighty and powerful God, by your power is Christ raised from death to rule this world with love. We confess that we have not believed in him, but fall into doubt and fear. Gladness has no home in our hearts and gratitude is slight. Forgive our dread of dying and hopelessness and set us free for joy in the victory of Jesus Christ, who is dead but lives and will put down every power to hurt or destroy when your promised kingdom comes. Amen. Hear now these words of assurance. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are like crimson, they shall be made like wool. Through our Redeemer, the Holy One, God, we are forgiven in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thanks be to God.
Good morning, church. We're the Edwards. I'm Keith, and this is Lori. We miss our church family so much during this time of isolation, and we're sending our greetings and love to all of you at home. We're here this morning to introduce the passing of the peace. Peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Please join us in passing the peace. Good morning, Kids Village, and happy Sunday. This month, your theme is all about the word humility. Humility means that you put other people's needs before your own, especially in the times that we're living in. It's so important that we are all reminded of what it means to put other people before ourselves. We are watching first responders, doctors, and nurses put themselves last to make sure that other people are kept healthy and safe. These are real life examples of what it means to be humble and to make sure that other people's needs are put before our own. We are also reminded of this example by the greatest example that we look to as Christians, which is the life of Jesus. He was constantly putting other people before himself. Our challenge to all of you is to say, how can I put other people before myself? Whether that's with your parents, with your siblings, if you're seeing your grandparents, whoever is a part of your family unit, how can you use that word humility and put them before yourself? We have been loving connecting with you all on our Kids Village Facebook page, and we hope that you have also been watching your Sunday School videos that are posted to the Village Church website. We miss all of you, and we hope to talk with you soon online. in his word to be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let us present our petitions before God and the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in the love and knowledge of Jesus Christ this is a time in our worship service where we present our prayers of thanksgiving as well as our prayers of petition and intercession for ourselves for our loved ones 
for the church's witness in every place and for the world during these challenging and unprecedented times. I invite you to pause for a few moments of silent prayer and then I'll offer words on our behalf and then I'll invite all of us to pray together those words which Jesus Christ taught his disciples, the words of which will be projected on your screens. Let us enter now a time of silent prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this hour, we come before you as a hope-filled and hopeful people, because by your power, love, and wisdom, you raise your Son, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, from the dead. Indeed, Jesus Christ is alive, and we can face our todays and tomorrows, knowing that you hear our prayers and that you know us inside and out. We give you thanks and praise, O God, for all the many ways that you bless us, for all the many ways that you provide for us, for all the many ways that you provide community such as this, by virtual community. But even though we are gathered by technology, O oh God, we are still your church, a community of people seeking to follow Jesus for life. We gather together, O oh God, joining our hearts and our voices, lifting up prayers for this world during this pandemic. We pray, O oh God, that you would hasten Oh God, your healing for all those infected and affected by the coronavirus. For all those, oh God, we pray for healing. We pray for the frontline doctors and nurses and, and first responders who put their lives on the line and are at risk, oh God. Strengthen them, oh Lord, and we give you thanks for them. We pray, oh Lord, for all those who have lost loved ones, that you would, by your peace and love, strengthen and comfort them during this time. We pray for all those who are separated from loved ones, those who feel isolated, those who feel alone or who are in fact alone. Oh God, be their companion and guide, we pray. For all those, oh God, who are um, in, in relationships that are abusive, for, for whom shelter-in-place directives are dangerous, we pray, oh God, that you would protect them and that you would restrain the violence, O oh Lord, from the perpetrators. We pray for, for children of all ages, O oh God, that you would care for them. For students, O oh Lord, and particularly the class of 2020 that are grappling with the real possibility of no uh, graduation or no uh, senior proms. O oh Lord, we pray that you would lift their spirits and that, O oh God, that remind them that their future is in your hands, even, Lord, as we pray for them and their families that support them and love them. We pray, O oh God, for those for whom this time is of great financial distress, who have lost their jobs. God, provide for them, we pray. For all other needs, O oh Lord, that we lift up, that we have named the silence of our hearts. For those, O oh Lord, who are in, in positions of authority, that you would grant them wisdom in their leadership. God, all these prayers we cast into your heart, into your care, because you are our loving and gracious God. We are bold and confident to pray the prayer that Jesus Christ taught his disciples, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Let us begin our time in the scriptures with a prayer for illumination. Please join me in prayer. God, source of all light, by your word you give light to the soul. Pour out on us the spirit of wisdom and understanding, that our hearts and minds may be opened. Amen. A reading from the book of Genesis. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say, You shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Then the Lord God said, See, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a sword, flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. And now a reading from the book of Revelation. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the streets of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. The word of the Lord. I want to say a word of appreciation to the musicians and the liturgists and the behind-the-scenes folks who have been working so hard again this week in order to make this worship opportunity possible for us. Without them, we would all be stuck in a place where we would not be able to gather in this way, so thanks to all of them. Well, friends, for five weeks now, we have been in what I call a major crisis mode. Five weeks here in California, where we mostly have shut down large parts of society, of course, and where many of us have been told simply to stay at home. It's a medical crisis, it's a coronavirus crisis, but of course it extends beyond that. It is also an economic crisis, the proportions of which we have not seen since 2008, or perhaps even since the Great Depression back in the 1930s. I call this also a crisis of just trying to live. How is it that so many of us simply stay at home? How do we operate and function by staying away from restaurants and staying away from movies and staying away from contact with other people. Even those of us who are working regularly have to stay away from others by putting on masks and staying a few feet away from each other. It's a crisis of having to clean everything all the time in ways that we've never known before. Maybe for some of us that's good news, but for all of us, it's a new challenge. It's a new way of doing life. For me, the hardest thing about this crisis that we're in is simply that we have to stay away from each other. We stay away from the human contact, hearing human voices and being close to those whom we love. Perhaps it's that way for you as well. Well, because of this crisis, today we are going to begin a new series of messages that are going to focus on the business of crisis itself. And we're going to look at what a crisis teaches us about our Christian faith. And so I've entitled this next series of messages, Crisis, Christ, and You. Now, God willing, 
we will take those series of messages through the end of May. And I've been saying that more frequently as well, God willing, because we don't really know what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day, do we? And so God willing, we're going to be looking in the scriptures, looking at ancient stories, ancient words of truth that teach us about what crisis has to teach about faith. As you think about it, the whole Bible really is about crisis. Crisis is what makes a story, and the Bible really is a story. It's a story about the relationship between God and his creation, a story about God's relationship with us and our relationship with God. And without a crisis, there is no story. Think about all the stories you know, not necessarily just biblical stories, but all the stories you know. A crisis is required in order for there to be a story at all. Have you ever read a story that started off this way? Everything was perfect. Everything was just fine. There were no problems. Everything was hunky-dory and copacetic and way cool. There's no story there. A story happens when there's a problem where there's an issue, where there's a crisis. A story happens when we hear about people working on the problem and trying to resolve the crisis and, and living through the difficulties of whatever the crisis happens to be. The story isn't over until the crisis is over, until the problem is resolved, maybe not happily, sometimes not happily. But that's what a story is. A crisis is there, a crisis is presented, and then we work on it, and then we see what happens, and then the end. Then we move on to the next crisis. Well, today we're going to look at the first and the last books of the Bible. The book of Genesis that tells us about many crises in the life of humanity, and the book of Revelation that tells us about how all of those crises are resolved. Both Genesis and Revelation give us very memorable stories and very uh, vivid images. They are stories and they are images that tell us deep truth about who we are and what the world is all about and, and what God has to say about it. Genesis, especially the early chapters from which we're working this morning, Genesis is actually what we call pre history. Before there was such a thing as writing, before there was such a thing as anything. Genesis is the history before history was written. And then, of course, Revelation is a different form of history. Revelation is history that has yet to be. Revelation is about the story of what will be after all the other stories are finally over. Both Genesis and Revelation, though, ask a similar question. They ask a question that I think you can argue is the fundamental question of human existence. And here's one way we can put that question. Are we okay? Is everything going to turn out all right? That's what we want to know when a crisis happens, when a problem arises. We want to know, is it going to be okay? Is the final word about us or about those whom we love, is the final word about all of history and all of creation, is that final word good news or is it bad news? I don't know about you, but I don't like watching movies or reading stories that I know are going to end poorly. I don't like the discomfort and the pain and the, the inner turmoil that that causes. I'm sort of a, sort of a sucker for feel-good movies. Movies where at the beginning you know it's going to end up okay. You know the guy is going to get the girl and the little kid is going to recover from the disease and everybody's going to get their money back and everything turns out okay. That's what I like. That's what we all like. That's because that's our fundamental question. Our fundamental issue of life, is everything going to be okay? And so Genesis tells us in the opening, opening chapters, Genesis tells us that God creates all things. God creates us. God puts us in the garden. 
the Garden of Eden, we call it, where everything is okay. Everything is great. It's wonderful. It's easy. It's good. It's the way it's meant to be. There's no story there, though. If that were the end of the story, we wouldn't have much to talk about. But, of course, it's not the end of the story. The serpent appears on the scene, and the serpent asks another question. It's a very important question. The serpent asks this question of Adam and Eve. The serpent says, can God be trusted? The serpent comes to Eve and says, hey, did God say that you could not eat of the fruit of this garden, of the fruit of these trees? And Eve says, oh, yes, we can eat of the fruit of all of the trees except for just this one tree. That's what God said. And the serpent said, well, you know, God said that you should not eat from that tree, but I think you can. God said that maybe you would die if you ate from that tree, but, you know, can you trust God? Don't you think you could just try once and see if God was really serious about that? Maybe God is wrong. Maybe God is lying. Maybe God is not to be trusted. The serpent's question to Eve was, wouldn't you rather trust your own judgment, your own decision about these things? The serpent goes further and says, you know, I'll bet that if you eat of this tree, that you're going to be like God. That's why God doesn't want you to eat from that tree, because if you do, you will be equal to God. Sounds pretty good to Eve. Sounds pretty good to Adam. And so, of course, Adam and Eve answer the serpent's question in this way. They eat from the tree. They decide that the serpent is right. They decide that God is wrong. They decide that they want to live in God's garden, their home, the place where God put them to thrive and flourish and be, but they want to do it on their terms, in their way. Now, I want you to notice something. In the story of creation, especially the story of the creation of Adam and Eve, in chapter 2, verse 25, we didn't read it, but here's what it says. It says that when God was finished making Adam and Eve, that both of them were naked and they were not ashamed. Now, that's not a commentary about sexuality or shame necessarily. What it means to say is that as far as Adam and Eve were concerned, when they were created, everything was perfect. Everything was good. Even if they were naked, that was no big deal because Everything was as it was meant to be. They did not know anything other than perfection and goodness and beauty. But now, once the serpent has opened the door to a new possibility, once the serpent has asked a question that Adam and Eve have answered in the affirmative, then we read that they were both naked and they were ashamed. Adam and Eve realized that something was not right. Something was not good. Something was not the way it was meant to be. And so, what do they do? They mask themselves. They take fig leaves and sew them together and create loincloths. They try to hide who they are, and they try to hide what they are. They can't simply be who they are anymore because they have decided to take the place of God. And they know things are not right. Well, of course, you know the story as it unfolds. They have to leave the garden. But why do they have to leave the garden? Was God so upset simply because they took a couple of pieces of fruit from a tree? No, that wasn't what it was about. It was about the fact that Adam and Eve chose to ignore God. They chose to distrust God. They chose to break their relationship with God. And so, because they chose something other than God, they chose an option in life that took them away from this place that was blessed and beautiful and holy and good and perfect without blemish, without a problem, without any crises. I think you can argue that this is the first crisis of Scripture itself. 
the crisis of what happens when we choose to end or divert our relationship with God. Here's the crisis. What happens then when we lose our place, when we lose our home with God? God's answer to Adam and Eve's answer was very simple. God said, okay, you've chosen not to trust me. You've chosen to give up on this home that I made for you, so now you must go to be someplace else. You must go away from me, because that's what they chose. Now, right before God says, you're leaving the garden, there's one beautiful little verse that I want to read for you now. It was not read for you earlier. I want to read it for you now. Right before an Adam and Eve have to leave the garden, we read this, that the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and for his wife and clothed them. Adam and Eve took the leaves that they saw lying around and did the best they could, but then God made actual clothes, garments for them. I have to ask you this question. Why would God continue to take care of Adam and Eve. God made clothing for them so that they would be okay, so that they could manage their lives in some way, shape, or form with what God gave them. Think about this even further. Adam and Eve leave the garden, but in leaving the garden, they continue to live. They continue to have life. God does not destroy them. In a few weeks, we'll talk about the flood and Noah and the ark. But right here, right now, Adam and Eve, from the very get-go, choose to do things a different way, not God's way. They choose death. They choose to move away from their creator, from the source of their life. But that does not end their life. Maybe God should have started over right then. Have you ever thought about that? God would have every right to do that. Say, you know, Adam and Eve blew it. Let's try again. Adam and Eve, you're done. But that's not what God does. They leave the garden, but God provides for them. God continues to take care of them. God even pursues them. Well, the whole story of the Bible then from there is how God works to reestablish his relationship with us. The whole story of the Bible is about that troubled relationship, all of the crises that occur as God works to bring his creation back to himself, especially the pinnacle of his creation, Adam and Eve. Eventually, as the story unfolds, God comes to earth as another Adam, the Hebrew word for man, God comes as a man, and in this man's life and death and resurrection, God restores the lost relationship. God eliminates our sin, and God reaches out to us and says, I still love you. In Christ, all things come back together, the things that were torn apart when we chose to tear them apart ourselves. And you and I find that in trusting Jesus, we find our place in God again. Now, Revelation. Revelation is the end of the story. Revelation looks not at what happened at the beginning, the way things are at the beginning, but at the way things will be at their end. When this same man, when Jesus Christ reigns in total glory and truth and honor for all time and for all places, John sees a picture, a series of pictures, a whole kaleidoscope of images and colors and feelings. And at the end of Revelation, he gives us the most important, the most beautiful. John tells us about a city, the city of God coming down from heaven, the place where God is going to be with his people, the place where everything is well and easy and good, a place where everything is just like it was in the Garden of Eden. We read just a brief part of the description of that city. There's the river of life in that city. 
There's a tree that grows over that river, a tree that has 12 kinds of fruit in it, enough food for everybody for all time. The leaves of that tree are for the healing of the nations. We have that tree pictured in stained glass in our sanctuary, and the next time you're there, be sure to look at it again. There's the river of the water of life, the tree that has all the fruit and all the produce and abundance that we need to have successful life here on this earth. There's light, never-ending light, not light from the sun, not light from the burning oil in a lamp, but the light of God himself. There's nothing accursed there. All the bad and evil and incomplete and corrupt things of life, all the things that are not of God, all the things that are evil are gone. They are obliterated. They are wiped away. Most importantly, though, God is there. John sees a throne, and on that throne sits God and the Lamb of God, Christ, Christ Jesus we will see God's face. We will finally be in that place where we can look at God squarely in the eye again and say, God, we are yours, and we will never go away again. God's name is written on our foreheads, a, an old way of saying that, that God's claim upon us is something that we fully and finally realize and accept. Now, this doesn't, isn't just a, just a garden anymore with two people. This is a huge city with all of God's people, all whom he redeems, all whom he restores and renews, all people where we've finally gotten the answer to our question, are we going to be okay? The answer to that question is yes. We're going to be okay. We're going to be more than okay. We're going to be fantastic. We're going to be wonderful. Everything is going to be great because we are finally and forever with God. The first crisis of all creation was the crisis of our broken relationship with God. But God resolves that crisis in this way. God continues to love. God continues to provide. God does not destroy. God is still there. God is still here. We still have a place with God. Our place of safety and security, of thriving and living, is accomplished in the work of Christ, and we're with God. In these last few weeks, we've been told to embrace a stay-at-home policy because home is a safe place. That's the word that's been used in California. In Tennessee and in other places, they're saying it's not a policy of stay at home. It's a policy of safe at home. Well, friends, we are safest in our home with God. And so, friends, be of courage. Be of good cheer. Be a person who knows Christ in whom is our safety and security. Be a person who's getting closer and closer to Christ, a person who knows that when we are in Christ, we are in the very heart of God, and we will never, never leave again. Amen. Will you please join me as together we say the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
Friends, in my benedictions, I'm often fond of giving you homework. Maybe that phrase takes on new meaning today, doesn't it? It's not just homework for when you stay at home, but it's the work you do as you go into your homes, into your places of work. It's the work you do out in your life, wherever you happen to be living your life today. Here's your homework. Your homework is to be filled with courage and patience and generosity and kindness and strength. You can do that as you remember these truths that we've celebrated in our worship today, that we sing praise continually to the Father for His grace, that we know that God's grace is leading us home. We look forward one day to gathering at the river where there is the water of life. And indeed, we are confident that we will dwell in the shadow of the Lord always because God is our heart's true home. God is the place in which we will be blessed, in which we will be given abundant and eternal life. God is the place in which we'll always be okay. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you today and always. Amen. Amen.